We remain standing to celebrate the remainder of our Easter gospel reading from John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. you join me in praying? God, whose resurrection power felt and known so long ago in that tomb in Jerusalem, we now ask that it be present here among us to make Easter more than a memorial gathering but a celebration of life and love and hope. May we this day feel the unity of your church all around the world in its many forms and expressions, its many traditions and rituals, as we all pay homage to the risen Christ who makes us one and who taught us long ago to pray in this way, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. After a great morning of music, such as we've already heard, I'm reminded of the quote from that great American theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, who tended to worship at churches on Easter Sunday that had a high worship form, that had lots of great music, but little, if any, preaching. Niebuhr explained, no preacher is up to the task of Easter. And before you say, amen, pastor, take a hint... Let me cut you off right there. 
So I have to say something more. Niebuhr's profound understanding of Easter is not generally shared and known, and so it's important that we think about what we believe about Easter. Some people prefer just the facts, sort of like Sergeant Joe Friday, just the facts, ma'am. We just want to know that Jesus died and rose again. Any questions? Don't go getting all poetic on me, Pastor. Just tell us the story. And so the richness of Easter sort of sits there like a Cadbury Easter egg, all wrapped up, but never fully experienced. Other people go in for the an analytical angle. They prefer talking about the physicality of resurrection. What happened? How did God defy nature and raise this body that had been dead three days to life again? How exactly did God reconstitute that coagulated blood in such a way and fire up all those engines of the body so as to make him alive again? You can ask those questions, but the Gospels don't really give us any kind of answers. But it does give the preacher something to talk about. Other people prefer thinking of Easter as a battle having been won. That life is this one big cosmic uh, battle, and that at Easter, God defeats Satan. We can say, our God is better than your God, our faith is better than your faith, even though that's not why Jesus Christ came into the world. As I said last week, I think he came in the world to tell us a new story, to give us a different frame to operate on, and so to co-opt him and this resurrection morning story to use as a club in the old story, for me, misses the point entirely. Then the most popular version of Easter. You might call it civil religion Easter, sort of a, a domesticated Easter. It says something like this. Easter is like the lilies. They come up every spring, so don't be discouraged in the winter of your life. Now go home and have a good lunch, and everybody be nice to your neighbor. Amen. I understand these different responses. And at different points in my life, I've even participated in and maybe even preached a version of them. But as I hear them now, as a pastor with some years on me, with some experience in this world, the the challenges, the heartaches of life, for me, these versions of Easter, frankly, are boring and a bit uninspiring, for they just nibble around the edges of Easter. They never really step into this great mystery. Walter Brueggemann says that Easter is not just about our dead Lord being alive again. It's about God's capacity to bring a newness into a world that has grown stale and cranky without newness. You know as well as I do that our world needs some newness, that we need some Easter newness. We need what we might call a resurrected Easter For you live in the world as I do and you read the same newspapers and watch the same news stories, you hear the same things I do, the saber-rattling in North Korea, in Syria, 
in Afghanistan. You hear about gun violence in our city and in cities all around our country. You hear about some people having the need in this day and age to continue to fight for their own particular civil rights that identifies them as fully human and fully equal. You know about the chasm that grows ever wider between the rich and the poor. You know about the chasm that continues to divide one faith from another faith when that's never God's intent. More personally, you may know, you may experience the challenge of families falling apart, of people self-destructing, of people living in the prisons of guilt and shame. But what can possibly be said that's new in a 2,000-year-old story, as wonderful a story as it is, the, the, the recent story about the Bible uh, that's on television corroborates that this is a good story. But what new can be said about this story? What can a preacher possibly say? What new angle could one bring? Maybe I want to suggest today, maybe... What's new about Easter is not the story, but how we apply the story. What's new about Easter is not the story itself. It stays and is handed down from one generation to the next. What's new is how our day and our time applies this old, old story in new and fresh ways. You'll notice that John, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, doesn't linger very long at the empty tomb. We don't get many details about what happened. There's no explanation of the story. Nothing's nailed down. There's no proof. Because Easter's not about proof. Easter is more about truth than it is about proof. Easter is more about application, how we live it out, than it is about confirmation. It's more about participation than it is just about celebration. In other words, we take this story of the risen Jesus, which we believe and we proclaim both as fact and as metaphor. Both as fact and as metaphor. And we make it new in our living And how we, today, 2013, how we apply it as we ask, what does this resurrection of Jesus have to say to us here and now? How is it that this one who was rejected and despised by every facet of culture, every social norm you can imagine, by the religious leaders, by the economic leaders, by the political leaders, by the military leaders, even by the thief on the cross next to him, by his own disciples despised and rejected, this one considered a blasphemer, a lawbreaker, a troublemaker, frankly, a loser? How is it that this one, this one, is raised by the power of God, the force of love in this world, from dead to alive again, raised, resurrected, Not resuscitated. Resuscitation just has to do with 
the physical, with the biological, the anatomical. And not just remembered, for that's what we do with stories and myths alone, but resurrected, which merges the physical. He had wounds in his hands. He could eat and drink with his friends. The physical along with the spiritual and the eternal, that which is beyond the physical. Mary Magdalene, one of his closest friends, didn't even recognize him that day. And he was able to move in and out of groups of people in ways that only speak of the eternal and the mystical. To resurrect Easter is to move beyond the idea of the resuscitation of a single corpse 2,000 years ago, but rather to merge the physical, the fact, with this spiritual, the, the eternal where this new power is loosened in this world, in us, here. I know it's Easter and you come to church because it's Easter, but what if? What if the power of Easter got loosened in us and you became part of the work of love in this world? I see it happening all over the place as this community and others try to build love in this world. I saw it last week as a group of our church marched in Frankfurt to advocate for equality for all of God's children. I saw resurrection. I see it on Monday nights when I occasionally visit with the folks who are so faithful from this community. Going into another neighborhood, And seeing these children as God's children. And trying to help them be what God is calling them to be. I'm watching resurrection. I see it as many of you, some of you young people who are here home with us now. Are making career choices about the kind of person you want to be. And making decisions not only based on economics. But on calling. Calling. To be a a doctor for Christ, to be a lawyer who does the work of love, to be a social worker or a chaplain or a teacher or any of a number of kinds of works that God calls people to that raises awareness and invites resurrection into the world. I see it as this community makes a strong and long-term commitment to refugees in Morocco far away intractable problems. Some would say you're, you're foolish to even try, but we're trying because we believe. We believe in Easter. We believe in resurrection. We believe that God is not done. I see it as I watch you all and talk to you all as you pray over the news of the day, as you care about what's going on in the world. I see it as we begin this capital campaign to renovate a part of our historic building. We're calling it Building Love because that's what it's about. It's about building love in the next generation of people who will become the liberators, those who go out into the world and open the doors for the captives, those people caught in human trafficking and addiction and poverty and war, those caught in materialism and self-absorption. And all the many who need a resurrected Easter. Brian McLaren says we ought to make Easter so radical. 
So radical in how we live it out that those who are in power try to outlaw Easter. Wouldn't that be great? Because they would know that Easter disturbs the powers. It disturbs the systems that are too big to fail. It disturbs commerce because we're living this act of insurrection against governments of greed and corporations of corruption. We're Easter people. McLaren says we ought to make Easter dreaded, dreaded by those who would traffic in violence and fear and exploitation and hostility and consumerism because they would know. Here it comes. It's Easter again. Here comes another wave of reconciliation and courage and peace breaking out because those people are at it again. Those Christians Those people who are raised to be bearers of Christ in the world, here they come. Peacemakers, enemy forgivers, wound healers, boundary crossers, movement builders, minority guardians, fire extinguishers. Putting out all of that hate, all of that evil, all of that darkness. It's possible, you know. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament goes on with a fifth book. It's called The Acts of the Apostles. It's the story of the early church. All heaven breaks out. These people, they, they begin to understand each other as they talk across language and cultural barriers. Prison doors get opened. The dead and the near dead raise up. Enemies are reconciled. The world's turned upside down. It can happen. There is this interesting verse in the Bible. It's at the very end. If you get to that kind of crazy book of Revelation and turn back to the left, just a few pages, you'll find the little book of 1 Peter. Said to have been written by Simon Peter the Apostle. It has a line in it, that a verse in it from which we get the line in some of our creeds where Christ descended into hell. You've heard it? He descended into hell. 1 Peter 3 says that the risen Christ descended into hell to preach to the spirits in prison. Those people who in former times had disobeyed God. There's a great old legend that is based off of this one verse of Scripture that tells the story about the risen Christ descending into hell, coming to the gates of hell and finding Satan there, saying, Jesus, this isn't your territory You cannot enter in here, but Jesus can't be stopped. He tears open the gates of hell and enters in and begins to open the cells where the prisoners are kept and announce that they are free. Satan does whatever he can to try to stop Jesus, but he won't be thwarted. Deeper he goes, ripping ripping open these cage doors, letting the prisoners free until finally Jesus enters into the deepest and darkest bowels of hell. And there, off by itself, is a single, isolated cell. Not that one, said Satan. Not that one. That's my prized possession. But Jesus ignores him. 
rips open the gate, extends his hand in as his, the light of his countenance reveals a cowering Judas Iscariot, the one who had betrayed him. Jesus offers his hand, lifts him up, hugs him and says, you are free. I got to tell you, if he's free, maybe I can be free. And if I can be free, you can be free. And I am free. And if you're free this morning, you are going to be called, commissioned, to take this word of Christ risen from the dead. Make it active and real in this world until that day when that wonderful chorus says, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth and God shall rule and live forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Risen Christ, activate and animate your church now, not just here, but around the world. Let a revolution of love, of reconciliation and restoration happen, and let it begin even here, the corner of Grinstead and Cherokee, in these pews, in the lives of that person and that person and that person and and in me. To your glory. Amen.